Good morning. Our passage this morning is from the book of Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Once you find Luke, we'll be in chapter 12. Luke 12, starting in verse number 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are, of, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Thanks, Laura. Well, we are continuing. If you're new with us, um, we're continuing together a study in the book of Luke um, as a church, and we are almost halfway through. Um, there's 24 chapters in the book of Luke, and we're starting chapter 12 today. So we've been, been going for a while in this book. We still got a little ways to go, but it's been really, really good. Um, and so we're still in this long center section of the book that runs from kind of the end of chapter 9 all the way through chapter 19, where Jesus and his disciples are on the road to Jerusalem. And, and actually, like, as they actually follow him to Jerusalem, he's teaching them about following him as his disciples. Um, But the other thing that's happening in this section of the book of Luke is that along the road to Jerusalem, the the opposition to Jesus is increasing. And and that makes sense as well, because we know where the story is headed, right? I mean, not to to spoil anything, but it's not going to go well for Jesus when he gets to Jerusalem, right? Like the cross is waiting for him there. And so as, as the disciples and as Jesus are making their way to Jerusalem, the opposition against Jesus continues to increase. And so, um, specifically the last couple of weeks, Luke seems to be focusing in on the unbelief and the opposition that Jesus faced from the crowds, and and especially and specifically the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the experts in the law. Um, 
And so uh, that, that's all important context for our passage this week. And so just think back for a second on what we've seen the last two Sundays. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus cast out a demon uh, from a man, and, and this demon made the man unable to speak. And so when he cast him out, it was really obvious, then this guy starts talking, and so everybody could tell that Jesus had done uh, something miraculous here. But the, the responses to that were a little bit unexpected, right? Uh, we saw how one group of people accused Jesus of doing that miracle by the power of Beelzebul, it said, the, the prince of demons. And, and so they, they accuse him of doing this really obvious miracle by this dark power. Um, and then another group demands that Jesus do more signs for them. They, they want to put him to the test. They want him to prove that he is who he says he is. This isn't enough, Jesus. Do more. We want to see more. And so Jesus strongly in that context rebuked both of those groups. He starts facing this opposition, stands up to both groups strongly. Um, and so in the middle of all that then, what we saw last week is that a Pharisee invites Jesus over for dinner. And, and it's kind of funny because it says that this Pharisee invited Jesus over to dinner while Jesus was still speaking. And so I kind of wonder, like, what in the world made Jesus or made the Pharisee feel like, that he wanted to have Jesus over for dinner in the middle of all that. You know, like he's in the middle of this scathing rebuke of the crowd's accusations and demands. And this Pharisee's like, hey, it'd be fun to have that guy over for dinner. You know, but um, I, I don't know, maybe like, maybe he was just thinking Jesus was hangry. Like, come on, Jesus, let's get you something to eat and you know, calm down a little bit or something. But anyway, he invites Jesus over for dinner. And, and then he, he's shocked that Jesus doesn't follow these washing rituals that the Pharisees had basically made up, but then said that this was part of the law. And, and so this is what Eric preached on last week about how the situation, that situation led Jesus to condemn the hypocrisy and the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the lawyers. And so it was really helpful last week how Eric taught us about the implications of that passage for our own lives. Because like Eric said last week, the, the primary target of Jesus' accusations there and, and his, his words in that passage were the religious hypocrites. Um, people that put on a good external show, but they haven't repented and trusted in Jesus and been given new, clean, obedient hearts. And so the specific kind of hypocrisy that Jesus was dealing with last week was the kind that works really hard to look like on the outside something that you're really not on the inside. It's parallel to the self-righteousness that he also condemned in that passage. So trying really hard to look like on the outside what you're not really on the inside. And so in that sense, the call to us as Christians last week was to rejoice that Jesus has delivered us from that kind of hypocrisy, right? Like Eric talked about, that's not who we are anymore. That's who we were, but that's not who we are anymore. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. We no longer have to pretend to be something that we're not. And we now are what the Pharisees were pretending to be and trying to be in their own strength. So we don't have to pretend to be righteous on our own anymore. We don't have to try to convince anybody on our own that we're good. But in our passage this week, uh, we see Jesus turn to his disciples immediately after all of that, and he warns them about letting hypocrisy creep into their lives. And so it's a little bit surprising after what we talked about last week, right? I thought that was the Pharisees' problem. I didn't think that was something that the disciples would need to worry about. 
but, but I think a clue is found kind of in it really at the end of last week's passage, but even in the whole bigger context that we just talked through of this growing opposition to Jesus. And you, and you can see it specifically at the end of last week's passage that the Pharisees didn't exactly appreciate um, Jesus' correction, you could say. Uh, instead of hearing Jesus' rebuke and being convicted and repenting of their hypocrisy and of their self-righteousness. Instead, they hardened their hearts against Jesus and began pressing even harder against him. And so look back at chapter 11, verses 53 and 54 real quick and and just see this as we lead in, because I think this is important to to see. That um, 1153 says, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so, yeah, I mean, like, have you ever faced that kind of pressure before? Like, have you ever um, been around people that are just trying to push your buttons and they're, then they're watching every word that you say and they're looking to catch you in something that you say or do wrong? Like, they're just looking for the opportunity to get you. Uh, like, like, what does that start to do to you mentally and emotionally, um, like, like you're, you're at least tempted, right, to start being extra careful about everything that you say. You start, you, when you think about speaking even, that person's face comes to your mind and, and you wonder how they're going to react. Um, you, you start being extra careful about the words that you use. Maybe you even don't speak up about things that you might feel like you want to speak up about because what are they going to do? How are they going to react? And, and like in all that, like do you see what's happening? Like, maybe you're not being a hypocrite in the sense of trying to look like something that you're not, but instead you're trying to look like you're not something that you actually are. So it's like the other side of hypocrisy than what Jesus talked about last time, right? So in that sense, we as Christians are susceptible to the sin of hypocrisy, especially, I think, when we're facing opposition um, like the disciples are here, and especially when it comes to standing for Jesus in the face of opposition, and so that's, that's what seems to be what Jesus has in mind in this entire passage here um, that we're going to look at this morning. It, it, it's a lot more than the low-level threat that we're familiar with. Um, Jesus is specifically going to talk about people killing the disciples, um, dragging them into court because of their connection to Jesus. Um, so this, this is much more serious than the opposition that we typically deal with. But if in the far less dangerous opposition that we've experienced, we're tempted to try to hide who we really are, uh, if we're tempted to try to downplay our faith, uh, if we're tempted to try to blend into the crowd and not stand out, uh, if we're tempted to change the way that we might say something or or to speak more softly rather than boldly, um, to even not speak up at all, um, how much more if your life is on the line, like the disciples in this passage here, And so Jesus is warning the disciples and us to beware that kind of hypocrisy. It's just as dangerous as the other kind that we looked at last week. It's, it's, it's dangerous, like we talked about last time, to pretend to be something you're not, like the Pharisees did, because you might convince everyone around you, and you might even convince yourself that that's who you really are, but you can't fool God, right? That's what we saw last time. This time we're going to see that it's also dangerous to pretend to not be what you are, uh, even in the face of opposition, maybe especially in the face of opposition, because you might end up proving yourself to be the kind of hypocrite that we talked about last week that fooled yourself into believing that you were something that you never actually were. And so 
In our passage this week, Jesus is going to talk about that with his disciples. He's going to warn them against letting the opposition that they're beginning to face from the Pharisees cause them to become hypocrites like the Pharisees. And then he's going to help them guard against hypocrisy creeping into their lives. And and we get to listen in and learn those lessons along with them. So let's uh, start reading here in chapter 12, verse 1, and we'll look at this together. so chapter 12, verse 1, in the meantime, and again, that the, in the meantime there connects this back to chapter 11 like we just talked about. Um, so you see that context in your mind as you read this. When so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. Um, and man, like, I don't, like, when I'm reading this this week, that just jumps out at you, doesn't it? Like, did you ever know that was in your Bible? Um, like the crowds were getting so big around Jesus, they're trampling over each other. And I'm not exactly sure why Luke tells us that here. Uh, it feels like maybe it's connected, like maybe there's a reason. And so I don't know. I mean, maybe it's either in contrast to the opposition of the Pharisees, like they're trying to squash this thing, but the crowds just keep getting bigger. Or maybe it's even something, another clue when it comes to the reason Jesus needs to confront hypocrisy with the disciples. Like maybe their tendency in the face of this crowd is either to start playing toward playing to the crowd like you know how we do being afraid of the people fearing you know wondering how they're going to respond i don't know but it, it's an interesting detail that he gives there just the setting that that he begins to talk to the disciples and he's got these thousands of people here but it says instead he turns to his disciples and begins to talk to them first um, and and so this is beginning a whole section that's going to run down through beginning of chapter 13 and so when it says he says this to his disciples first it's because he has more things he's going to talk to them about this is just the first First one in the list that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. But he began to say to his disciples first, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so this is really, there's one main warning in this section. It's right there in verse one, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so, yeah, Jesus starts off with that word beware. And man, like that gets your attention, right? Like we hear that word and immediately, it's not a word we use all the time. It's not a word you hear all the time. It catches your attention, makes you sit up a little bit. Um, and, and the point is like, yeah, we hear that word. It's because something's dangerous. There's something we got to watch out for. There's something we need to be guarding against. And that's, that's right. That's the way we need to think about hypocrisy, that, that it's something dangerous to watch out for. It's something we need to be constantly guarding against. And, and then, um, so yeah, beware the, the leaven of the Pharisees, then he calls it. He calls it the leaven of the Pharisees. And so you might be familiar with that biblical word picture, leaven. It comes up other places. It might be something you're familiar with, but like even if you're not, you're probably familiar with how leaven or yeast works um, in bread dough. Like it's it's small little stuff, right? Like if you've seen it, it comes in this packet of little like little fine grains of sand or something. Doesn't take very much of it. You put that in your bread dough, and and it causes the whole thing to puff up and rise, right? It spreads through it, and it creates a reaction in the whole loaf of bread, and and just slowly happens. Um, it's kind of so slow that if you were to sit there and watch it, you wouldn't even really realize it's happening until you come back later, and all of a sudden this thing has changed dramatically from what it was before. Um, and and once you let a little bit in, like there's no stopping it. You don't get it back out. You can't stop the reaction once it's there and once it once it gets started. And so like that's what Jesus is saying. Hypocrisy is like here. Like maybe for us, um, a virus would be a, a better. 
um, illustration, a more modern picture of something that can spread and infect like this. Uh, like, like we do everything we can to avoid getting the flu, right, or the measles or something like that. Um, we, we don't think like, oh, it'll be fine if I get a little bit of that in my body. Like, it'll be, it won't be a big deal. Um, like, no, like we beware, right? Like, we, we wash our hands. Um, we, we keep our kids at home when they're sick. Uh, we get vaccines. We take vitamin C. You know, we, we do, we take precautions to guard against getting infected. Um, and Jesus is saying the same thing is true about hypocrisy. It's, it's serious. It's not something to play around with. Watch out. Don't let it creep into your life. Like that, that's the warning here. And so the question is, how, how do we do that? How do we watch out? How do we guard against this? How do we beware um, letting that creep into our lives? And so that's what Jesus is going to address in the rest of this passage. And what you're going to see on your handout here um, is what I've, what I've listed out is, I think he gives the disciples uh, and us as his followers as well, five truths to remember that will help us guard against hypocrisy creeping into our lives. Um, because that's where so much of our temptation in this area comes from, right? Like, we, we forget what's true. We forget what's real. And we begin to believe in things and fear things that aren't true. Um, and, and then we begin to act like those lies are what is actually real. <clears throat> and so Jesus is going to say, no, these things are true. Remember these things, and it'll help guard your heart against the temptation to shrink back in the face of opposition and pretend that you're not who you really are. And so a few of these truths here are, are warnings, pretty strong warnings, that will help us by reminding us of the real dangers of hypocrisy. And, and a few of these truths are, are these beautiful assurances of God's love and provision for us that should comfort us and help us be bold in the face of opposition. So let's walk through these together here. Um, let's look at the first one. Um, Jesus says to the disciples, beware of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So the reminder here is, and you see this on your handout there, that, that remember that nothing stays hidden forever. Remember that nothing stays hidden forever. And he basically says that four different ways there. Nothing's covered up. It's not going to be, it'll be revealed. If it's hidden, it's going to be known. Whatever you said in the dark is going to be heard in the light. We've whispered in, in private rooms, be proclaimed on the housetops. Um, and, and it's really kind of speaking against the thing that we're tempted to do when we're facing opposition, right? To cover up who we really are, to hide who we really are, to say things that are inconsistent with who we really are, to make us look like something else. And so the, the focus here, and I think really all through this passage, is, is specifically on the words that we say. Like we're tempted to think, oh, this one little thing that I said there doesn't really matter all that much. Like no one was even around to hear that barely, you know, just a few people around. It's not that big a deal. Like I can get away with it this time. But Jesus says here, nothing stays hidden forever. Um, there's going to be a day when even the things that you said that were the most hidden, I mean, I think that's the idea there with saying it in the dark, saying it in the innermost rooms, um, the things that were most hidden are going to be brought to light and made public. Like that's the opposite of those, being, being made known, being brought into the light. So the things that you said that we thought were the most hidden, they're going to be brought to light. They're going to be made public. And, and we know that, like even in this life, that tends to be true, right? Like even 
um, even in this life, like we think we can hide things forever. Nobody's ever going to find out about it. But most of the time that doesn't work out. Like there's very rarely that you're able to hide something forever and it never comes out. I mean, it seems like every other day or so some new scandal is being exposed that I'm sure the person involved thought that they had covered it well and they had hidden it and they kept it in the dark and there was no way that this was going to come out. Um, and, and yet it does. But, but Jesus is saying here, like the language that he's using here points toward a day in the future when all things are ultimately going to come to light, like the final judgment. And so Jesus is saying here that even if you get away with it for your whole life, like even if that doesn't happen, and even if you get away with it for your whole life, you're not going to get away with it forever. Like there's coming a day when we're all going to stand before God and have to give account for every word we've spoken. And, and oh my goodness, like that's scary in a sense, right? Like, are you, are you speaking in a way that that day will make you nervous? Um, but, but, but the reality is that that day's coming and nothing can stay hidden forever. And so, so it should stir us then to speak boldly for Jesus now and to stand for Jesus now so that we don't have anything to be ashamed of on that day. Second truth then that Jesus reminds us of to guard against letting hypocrisy creep into our lives is, is this. It's in um, verses 4 and 5. You can see this on your handout. It says, remember that people are limited in what they can do to you, but God has ultimate authority over you. Remember that people are limited in what they can do to you, but God has ultimate authority over you. Let's read verse 4 and 5. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Oh, man, like there's so much here. Uh, Ultimately, this one, I think, would be the root of everything else when it comes to our tendency toward the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus is warning us against here. Like, ultimately, our problem is we fear people more than we fear God, right? Like, we're more worried, we're far more worried about what people can do to us than we are about what God can do to us. We've, we've think about what what they can do and the authority they have over us, and we totally forget about the authority that God has over us. And so Jesus is saying the next way to guard against hypocrisy creeping in is to get our fears back in the proper order again. And so, I mean, just look at these verses here. Initially, verse 4 almost strikes us as a little bit funny, right? Like, don't be afraid of those who can only kill your body and then can't do anything else to you. Like, oh, okay, like, is that all they can do? Um, They can only kill me, and then that's it, huh? That's a big deal, you know? Well, kind of sounds like a big deal, right? Like, we, that sounds pretty bad. (laughs) Like, we don't, we really don't want to die, and the threat of death is pretty motivating when, especially when we know somebody's serious, right? Like, and so, and we feel that even sitting here in a public meeting space, you know, meeting publicly, a public school, and, and there's really no threat to us for doing this. Um, and, and Jesus is saying, like, yeah, like, if you feel that now, how much more so if, if you have that kind of pressure coming down on you and that kind of opposition that you're facing? And so, yeah, and again, just think about that. Like, if this is true, again, thinking about this extreme form of opposition, like, we know that um, the opposition we face doesn't usually take that kind of a form. But if, if it's true, even in that kind of a form, how much more should it be helpful to us that face much less extreme opposition? 
the reality is here that this life isn't all there is. Like, yeah, you may live a really good long life on earth. Maybe you'll see 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. Um, but eventually, one day, all of us are going to die. And, and then all of eternity is going to be stretched out before you. And even the longest lives that people have lived here on this earth, are, are, they're just a blip on the radar, right? Like they're just a point on the, on the line. They're a breath. They're, they're a moment in light of eternity. And, and there's only one person then that has any say over what your eternity, the rest of that timeline then looks like. There's only one person that has any say over that. Like the worst that any person on this earth can do to you is send you to that point a few years earlier than you would have preferred. But, but in the grand scheme of things and in light of the authority that God has over whether people will be judged righteous and spend eternity with him in his kingdom or whether they'll be judged guilty and spend eternity in hell under his fiery wrath, the, the authority that people have over us is nothing. So why are we afraid of them? Like, that's the point. Like, why, why are we afraid of them if that's the reality? Why do we let them convince us that it'll be better if we just keep quiet about Jesus or not speak up about what we believe? Like, why are we afraid to tell them about the judge that they're going to have to stand before themselves someday? Like, that's, that's part of the motivation here as well, is recognizing that God has authority over them. And so, like, why are we afraid to tell them about that? That's the one that Jesus tells us we ought to fear. We ought to fear him, he says. Um, And and so, yeah, for us, no, not in the sense that we are afraid to stand before him as Christians. Like for us, who have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection, we've been clothed in his righteousness. So praise God, like we don't have to fear that God's going to end up throwing us in hell when we stand before him one day. But, But we fear him in the sense of a proper reverence and awe for the ultimate authority that he has over the eternal state of our lives and the lives of everyone else in this world. Um, and, and we also fear him then, and looking into the next verses here, we also fear him in the sense of worshiping him for his sovereign love and care for us. And you can see that next on your handout here um, in verses 6 and 7. Remember that God knows you and cares for you. Let's read verses 6 and 7. These are connected together here. Um, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So, it's such a sweet reminder to come along with the the serious warning just before this. Like, it'd be really easy without this, these verses here, to hear that previous warning is like, oh, poor you. Like, your life's being threatened. Like, stop whining. You shouldn't be afraid of that. But, But then Jesus reminds us of this truth here that makes sure we don't hear the last one that way. Like, he points us to the sparrows. It says, if you're not familiar with birds, they're like these little tiny brown birds that are basically everywhere. Nothing fancy about them, nothing to draw our attention to them, nothing that catches our eye. Um, there's millions of them all over the place. They're so common to us, they, they have very little value. Don't really give them much notice, and they have very little value. That's, that's what Jesus is getting at here when he talks about the, the price of them. Um, basically, they're like super cheap meat that even poor people could afford at the market. Um, the, the coin that he talks about there, it's like a 16th of a day's wages or something like that. You can get five sparrows for two of those. So like the point is, is how little value that we place on these birds. And, but Jesus says that, that even little birds that are that insignificant to us, not one of them is forgotten by God. Like he knows them all. 
And the point that he makes at the end of verse 7 then is that we're far more valuable to God than even a whole bunch of those birds. Like, like he's arguing from the lesser to the greater here. So if God doesn't forget any of the sparrows, how much more will he remember you and watch over you? And then the point of the, the phrase there that comes in the middle, the, the, even the hairs of your head are all numbered, is, is that he doesn't just watch over us in some vague, disconnected, um, distant kind of way. No, like he knows every detail about us. He, even the crazy details that are so insignificant, there's no way that anybody would ever know them. Um, and, and so, yeah, like the number of hairs on your head, like nobody could ever know that, but God does. Like God cares about you that much and knows you that deeply that he knows how many hairs are on your head. And so like, yeah, in the face of opposition and the temptation to hide and, and to pretend like we're not who we really are, what a comfort, right? What a comfort to know that God knows us that intimately and that he cares for us that deeply. And the point of this is not saying, like it's not saying here that he's not going to ever let anything happen to us. This is not saying that he's always going to rescue us from danger. But instead, it's supposed to just give us confidence that nothing is going to happen to us that catches him off guard. Nothing's going to happen to us that he's not sovereign over, that he's not with us and caring for us through it. And so tying these two points together then, because they are in the text, like that's the God that we're supposed to fear. The God who has ultimate authority over us, but who also knows us and cares for us. And so we're supposed to be in awe of him. We're supposed to worship him. And, and then if we do that, if we have that kind of a fear for God, then our fear for people um, begins to fall into its proper place. And our fear of what they can do to us falls into its proper place. And so that's how to guard against the temptation to hide when opposition comes, is to fear God rather than people in that way. Next, um, you can see this on your handout. Remember that confessing or denying Jesus has eternal consequences. This is in verses 8 through 10. Let's read those together. It says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So these are probably the hardest verses in this passage. These are tricky ones. Um, these are hard to follow the flow a little bit, and like there's some hard stuff that he says in these. Um, and I, I can almost guarantee you that in the time that we have, I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions about these. And so if these are things you struggle with, like please come talk to us afterwards. We'd love to talk to you more about this. But let's kind of see if we can pick this apart and understand it a little bit. So um, the, the, the language here of son of man and before the angels of God, um, that would have brought to the disciples' minds a picture of, of the heavenly courtroom and the final judgment. Like that would have been the picture that begins to be painted in their mind. The, the son of man title there comes from Daniel chapter 7. And um, we've talked about this before, but in those verses, um, the, the ancient of days is ruling over all of creation. And, and this is in the middle of Daniel's visions of the kingdoms that are to come in succession and how God's so sovereign over all of them. And at the end of this, though, uh, this, this one like a son of man comes with the clouds of heaven and he's presented to the ancient of days and he's given dominion and glory and an eternal kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages uh, serve him. 
And, and so this is a name then that Jesus often uses for himself and that people understood to mean that he was equating himself with this figure from Daniel chapter 7. And so this picture then is of when Jesus is exalted to the Father's right hand and he establishes his kingdom and he stands as judge with the angels as witnesses um, declaring who belongs to his kingdom and who does not. So that's the picture, that's the scene here. And the factor then that differentiates between those who Jesus will acknowledge as belonging to his kingdom and those who he will deny is their public profession of Jesus. And so I think that has a couple of things in mind. One would be our, our initial profession of faith. Like when God causes a dead heart to come alive, that person immediately begins to confess Jesus as their Lord and King and Savior. Like your eyes, your blind eyes are opened to see the beauty of the gospel when you're confronted with who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And, and your heart turns from the sin that you used to love to trust completely in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in your place to make you right with God. And then your mouth just begins to publicly confess Jesus. Like you, you can't help it. And it's, it's the confession that Paul talks about in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Like if those verses aren't already coming to your mind, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So, so these words in that, in that confession there in Romans 10, those words, that confession is evidence that new life has begun in somebody, right? Like that, that's the evidence that they've been born again, that they've been regenerated. So that's the first thing I think this has in mind is just that initial confession that comes along with God giving you a new heart and causing you to be born again. I think the other thing it has in mind is our ongoing confession of Jesus because it's not just enough to say those words one time and then you can live the rest of your life however you want and say whatever you want about Jesus from then on. Like those, those that have truly been converted and born again will go on confessing Jesus as their Lord and King and Savior. And the point in all of this through this whole passage is that our words reveal who we really are. And so your ongoing confession of Jesus reveals who you really are. And the opposite is also true, that you can tell who doesn't follow Jesus by their denial of him. Like their words reveal who they are as well. And so like the point in these, in these verses is that if you deny Jesus, then you have no reason to, to believe that you are part of the, his people. Like there's no evidence then that, that you are, that you've been born again, because people that are born again confess him and acknowledge him before people. And, and so that's the evidence that they'll be acknowledged before the angels um, in, in the kingdom to come. And so in, the, in this context of this warning against hypocrisy, I think we have to see this as a warning that our confession or denial of Jesus matters. Um, it's not a light thing to deny him or to avoid whatever threat we may be facing by keeping quiet. Like it, our, the words that come out of our mouth reveal who we really are and where our allegiance truly lies. So our confession or denial of Jesus has eternal consequences. And so, man, if that's the case, like, it, it obviously raises the question, well, but what about if I've ever denied Jesus in the past? Like, what if I've done that? Like, what if, I've, what if I haven't spoken up for him? What if I've actually denied him in the past? Like, does that mean he's going to deny me now? Is there anything I can do? Is there any hope for me? And, and I think that's what the first part of verse 10 then is speaking to. Like, oh, see this. Like, there's grace for you if you've denied Jesus in the past but confess him now. Like, like just think of Peter. 
Think of Peter. Like later on in Luke 22, one of Jesus' most outspoken disciples, Peter, he's faced with opposition and the opportunity to confess or deny Jesus before people. Like Jesus is arrested, he's on trial, and 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 I mean, not too long before this, Peter had proclaimed to the disciples that that if even if everybody else leaves you, Jesus, I'm gonna stand with you, I'm gonna stand for you. And here he is, he finds himself in front of a fire outside the place where Jesus' trial is going on, and a servant girl recognizes him as one of Jesus' followers. So, like, super threatening, right? Servant girl, you know. But what did Peter do? He panicked, right? And he denied that he knew Jesus to this girl. And then a bit later, somebody else asks, like, hey, weren't you one of the ones that was with Jesus? And again, he denied it. And it's more strong the second time. And then one more time, like we know the story, right? One more time, another person confronts him about Jesus. And Peter, the third time, basically like calls a curse down from heaven on himself and denies Jesus the third time. And, and in Luke's account, we're going to get to later, we're told that right then, like at that moment, when he, when he denies Jesus the third time, Jesus turns and looks like somehow he's in a place where he's able to turn and look. He turns and looks right at Peter. Oh, can you, can you imagine how he must have felt in that moment? Can you imagine the heartbreak, like after the bold claims that he had made earlier and then the repeated denials that he, had, that he knew that Jesus knew in that look? Like maybe you know because you've been there. Luke says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. But, but that wasn't the end of the story for Peter, right? Like that wasn't the end. The, the book of John then tells us that after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus pulled Peter aside and three times he asked Peter if he loved him. And the third time, John says that Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him a third time. And, and oh, you have to believe that it's because he felt the weight of that number, right? Like he knew exactly what was going on. But, but Jesus didn't reject Peter. He, he forgave him and he called him back to the mission. And I think that's what the first part of verse 10 is telling you. If you've ever denied Jesus, like, like you can be forgiven, don't continue to deny him. Repent and turn to him. Like, turn to him today. Repent today. He'll forgive you and he'll receive you like, just like he did Peter. So it's, Jesus, it's possible to be forgiven for, for denying him. But there's serious warning here as well in the rest of verse 10. Like, don't presume on the forgiveness of God. Like, there is a line you can cross in rejecting him. And, and so, like, this is probably one of the most argued about verses in the whole New Testament. Um, it's, it's tricky. Um, but I think in context, probably what Jesus is referring to here with blaspheming the Holy Spirit is what the crowd had done in the passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. It's interesting, even in a couple of the other Gospels that use this verse, tie it more closely together with that than Luke does. Um, and, and we talked about this at the beginning this morning, that they saw Jesus cast out a demon by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they deliberately attributed that work to the prince of demons. Like, that's how hard their hearts were. They could see something that should have been such a clear indicator of the, the divine authority of God and the power of the Spirit working through him and instead intentionally reject him and accuse him of being evil. So, so I know like, that, that's a real fear for some people. Like That verse is something that honestly keeps you up at night and that you're afraid that maybe you've committed the unpardonable sin. And so... One, I mean, my guess would be that if you're, if you're worried that you have, you probably haven't. Um, your heart would be too hard to care. Um, but it, again, 
if, if that's a fear that you have and a question that you have, like please come talk to me or one of the other elders about this afterward. Love to talk to you more. Um, there's a lot more we could say about it, but I think the, 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 the point in all this is hopefully clear by now that confessing or denying Jesus has eternal consequences. It's not a light thing to deny him when you're facing severe opposition, even, yeah, even severe opposition. And confessing him, especially in the face of opposition, shows who you really are. So let that truth guard you against hypocrisy and embolden you to confess Jesus. And uh, one more truth here that Jesus reminds us of um, in verses 11 and 12 is remember that the Holy Spirit will help you be a bold witness. Holy Spirit will help you be a bold witness. Verse 11 says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So again, this is really closely connected to that last truth. Um, the synagogue was both a place of worship, it was also kind of the administrative center. And so trials would have been conducted there. And then the rulers and the authorities would be the ones that are conducting those trials. So the, the, the point here where we had kind of the heavenly courtroom in the last section, here we have the earthly courtroom. And so one of the places that the disciples in particular were going to be called to confess Jesus was in the courtroom before rulers and authorities. And so the temptation for them would be to just say whatever they needed to say to protect themselves and get out of there, right? Um, but in light of the previous verses that we just looked at, that's not an option. So, so this is a scary situation, right? You're dragged before rulers and authorities. You're, you're there on trial in the, in the human courtroom. What are you going to do when you're facing serious accusations for following Jesus with serious consequences depending on your response? Like, are you going to stand for him then? That's, that's the situation that they're facing. Will you stand for him or will you pretend to, to not be what you, uh, to pretend to not be what you are to protect yourself? So the final truth that Jesus gives to his disciples to help them guard against hypocrisy in that situation is the assurance that the Holy Spirit will help them and give them the words to say. And again, just like the, the, the section about the sparrows. Like this isn't a promise that the Holy Spirit is going to give them the words to say to get them off the hook. Um, instead, it's a promise that the Holy Spirit will give them the words to say to be bold witnesses for Jesus in front of the rulers and authorities. So that's, that's our hope in that moment is not that we'll, the Holy Spirit will help us get out of there, but that he'll help us speak up and be bold and, and speak up for Jesus in that um, situation. And for us as well, like even though we may not face that kind of literal legal trial for our faith, we can have confidence too that because we have the Holy Spirit with us, he's going to help us as well when we're faced with opportunities to confess Jesus before people. He's going to help us be bold witnesses. He'll teach us what we ought to say. And so again, just a beautiful truth to remember when we're faced with opposition and tempted to pretend to not be what we are. The pressure isn't on us in those moments. It's not on us to stand up for Jesus on our own. But because we've been united to Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit with us to help us be bold witnesses. So that's the final truth then that Jesus calls us to remember to help us guard against hypocrisy. So, so those are the five truths that Jesus gives us to help us guard against hypocrisy. Remember that nothing stays hidden forever. Remember that people are limited in what they can do to you, but God has ultimate authority over you. Remember that God knows you and cares for you. Remember that confessing or denying Jesus has eternal consequences. Remember that the Holy Spirit will help you be a bold witness. 
And so we've kind of touched on several applications along the way, but, but by way of final application, let me try to pull together a few main takeaways from, from these things here. First of all, I think the, the first point is just don't be surprised when you face opposition for following Jesus. Jesus faced opposition. His disciples faced opposition. The whole New Testament continues to remind the church that opposition from the world is normal for Christians. And think of 1 Peter 4, um, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Well, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And I, and I know just even looking around this room this morning that some of you have faced opposition from your families um, or as you've shared the gospel and have had to stand for Jesus in some tough situations. Like this is normal and it's something we should expect. And I think like especially as American Christians, we probably tend to be shocked when we face any significant opposition for following Jesus. We think something must be going wrong um, if we're facing any kind of opposition. And so this, this isn't telling us to go out looking for opposition. We don't go out looking for ways to stir up opposition, but we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. And, and especially just as we look at, to be a church that's on mission uh, in our own city here and even actively sending out missionaries to hard places, like we're going to face opposition. It's going to come. Some of us maybe even will face the most severe kinds of opposition that Jesus talked about here. And I don't, I don't say that in a poor us, like everybody's against us kind of way, but hopefully in a realistic, like, yeah, that's, that's what the Bible said is going to happen. That's what Jesus said is going to happen kind of way. And, and so passages like this are, are, are one way to help us be prepared to respond well when that comes. That being said, then I think probably the second main application for us from this passage this morning is like, don't let opposition turn you into a hypocrite. That's ultimately what Jesus' warning to the disciples was here and, and still is to his followers today. Like, I, I think this passage in, in kind of under that heading of don't let it turn you into a hypocrite, calls us first to examine our hearts and our words, uh, maybe even specifically our words because of the focus on words here. And, and think about that. Like, do your words reflect who you really are? Or do they show that you're trying to hide who you really are? What do your words say about your relationship with God? And, and, and oh, if you're struggling with this temptation, I think the call to us then is to, to confess it to God, to repent, to ask him to kill that sin in you, to meditate then on these truths that we just talked about together. Pray that God would, God would help you guard against hypocrisy. Like, like you can be forgiven for failing to stand for Jesus and he can help you stand for him now. So examine your heart, confess the sin if it's necessary, remember these truths, meditate on them, let them stir you to be bold witnesses for Jesus. And so when you, when you have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, you begin to feel the, that fear well up in your chest, remember these truths and, and be bold in sharing the gospel. When somebody's challenging you for being a Christian, you're tempted to, to back down or even deny it, remember these truths and boldly confess Christ. And I think finally, um, if you're here this morning and you've never publicly confessed Jesus, um, if you've never repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, confessed him as your Lord and King and Savior, I think it, it'd be a, a shame to walk away from this passage without calling you to do that today. Like you can pray right now. You can ask him to forgive your sins, give you a new heart, even the sin of denying him in the past. 
but, but don't, don't, don't do that and then keep it to yourself. The, the point of this is that it, it's a public thing, that your faith needs to be known. It needs to be known by the church. It needs to be known by those that are around you. So, so pray right now. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to give you a new heart. And then come talk to us about it. Love to talk to you about following Jesus um, as the elders here at Cross Fellowship Church. Um, talk to you about baptism even as another way to publicly profess your faith. Um, and then also be bold witnesses for Jesus where he placed you. And the point in all this is it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for any of us. It's not going to be, be easy at all. Um, we're going to face opposition in this world, in this life. But in the end, the point is that in the end, it's all going to be worth it. That Jesus is going to help us. He'll give us the power we need to stand up in those moments. And in the end, he'll confess us before the Father and we'll be with him forever and it'll all be worth it. Let me pray for us. Father, um, this, is, this is a hard passage. It's hard to to be confronted with hypocrisy, especially even just two weeks in a row. Um, it's hard to have our hearts exposed in that way and, and to have to deal with the ugliness that's there and um, the ways that we are um, so tempted to protect ourselves and, and to preserve ourselves and not stand up for, for you. Um, God, I pray that you would convict us where we need convicted from this passage this week, Father. I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts in light of these things. Help us examine our words in light of these things. Lord, help us to be realistic about um, what our, our testimony for you says about our relationship with you. Um, Lord, we don't do that in a way that connects our works to our salvation in any sense. We're not, we're not doing that in a way that says that we have to do this in order to receive salvation, but, but it's an evidence of, of the reality of your work in our heart. And when we don't see the evidence of it, we should be concerned. And so, God, I pray that we would take that seriously. And, uh, God, where we need to repent and confess and ask you to kill that sin in our hearts, help us to do that. And God, help us to meditate on these truths that, that you're good, you're a good father, you take care of us, you love us more than, than anything else in all creation. That If you take that kind of care of sparrows and you number our, the hairs on our heads, that we can trust you that you're going to take care of us. You give us your Holy Spirit, Father, to give us the words to say, to teach us the words to say in the moments when we're facing opposition. So help us not to fear man in those moments. Help us not to fear uh, what they can do to us, but help us instead to trust in you, to recognize your sovereign authority over our lives and help us to speak boldly so that on the day that ultimately all things are uncovered and, and revealed that we have nothing to be ashamed of. But God, even in that, we thank you that ultimately our shame was taken by Jesus on the cross, that our, our, um, the wrath that, that we deserve, that the hell that we deserve. Um, Jesus suffered that wrath in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. We could be made right with, with you. And that ultimately Jesus is the great high priest that we sang about earlier that's ever making intercession for us before your throne. So God, help us to cling to those truths in light of this passage this morning. Thank you for hard passages like this that we wouldn't normally choose to preach through, but it's in walking through a book of the Bible like this that we're confronted with and have to deal with. Pray that it do its work in our heart this week. In Jesus' name, amen.